Welcome to the Abstinence Workshop. My name is Eileen, and I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or electronic devices be turned off now. We remind you that this session is being recorded. All speakers must sign the release form, and if you're not willing to sign the release form, you may want to think again about speaking. Um, because we record. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there's press in the room, please do not take any uh, unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. The opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. The format for this session is as follows. We will have three speakers who will share for 20 minutes each, followed by three-minute open pitches until the end of the session. The topic for this session is abstinence. The following is a reading from the pamphlet, A Commitment to Abstinence. In Overeaters Anonymous, the statement on abstinence and recovery is, abstinence is the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. Spiritual, emotional, and physical recovery is the result of living the Overeaters Anonymous 12-step program. Hasn't this been our greatest problem? truly committing ourselves to refraining from compulsive eating on an ongoing basis. Full of determination, we're great in the short run, but when the everydayness begins to set in, we lose interest. A diet is something temporary. In Overeaters Anonymous, we believe in abstaining from compulsive eating every day, one day at a time. Our first speaker who will speak for 20 minutes is Michael from Sacramento. Um, good morning. I'm Michael, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Michael. <laughs> um, you know, when I came into the program, I was 22. I see new people coming in, young people coming in. Uh, I'm 55 years old now. Um, I weigh about 155 pounds. My top weight is 275. And I've had that weight off for 32 years. I see people come in who are overweight. And this morning I was thinking, I'm not that person anymore, but I am that person. I heard this weekend that uh, there was somebody planning to speak who had 22 years of abstinence. And they had to uh, cancel their speaking engagement because they lost their abstinence. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Lost your abstinence. And if I say anything today, I am going to say something that I hope isn't OA blasphemy. Before I say that, though, <laughs> I'm going to pass around some pictures um, because um, we have 20 minutes to share, 
And I've told you I used to weigh 275. I'm hoping I don't need to spend a lot of time talking about what it used to be like. However, I'm one of those people that got to 275 pounds by the time I was 18 years old. You know, I thought today when people go, oh, if you eat what you used to eat, you'll end up weighing what you used to weigh. And I thought, well, shoot, wouldn't have that been nice if I had gone back and only weighed what I used to weigh rather than gain that plus a whole bunch more. Because I remember when I was 160 and I was only 30 pounds overweight. But the only blasphemy thing that I'm going to say is this. When I first came into OA, I was desperate, but I didn't want abstinence. I didn't want it. I wanted to binge and not suffer the consequences. I wanted to continue to do what I was doing, but I wanted a different result. I didn't want to actually change, and I certainly didn't want to make a commitment to abstinence. But I've heard a lot in meetings about, I have to get abstinent. I have to get it. And my personal experience, which is all I have to share with you, is that I didn't get abstinent. I kept it, which is why I can lose it. I don't have to get it. I have to keep it. And how do I get to, uh, how is it given to me? I remember in the beginning when they would go, abstinence is a gift. I was like, abstinence is a gift? What kind of gift? Gift is something, you know, it's all wrapped up in a pretty bow and you get it. And my eventual sponsor said, well, in AA, people's sobriety begins the moment they stop drinking. So they don't get up in the morning and they're sober. They're, they, they have their last drink. And then the moment after they stop drinking is their first moment of sobriety. So I realized at every OA meeting, unless I'm eating Snicker bars in the back of the room, I have the gift of abstinence. It has been given to me. I don't have to get it. Even if I binged my brains out this morning, which I certainly have done, not today, I have the gift of abstinence right now. Now all I have to do is figure out how to keep it, and more importantly, how not to lose it. So for me, I had to elevate, never use this word, I had to elevate the gift of abstinence as the most precious gift I have ever been given. A gift that I would never leave home with, without. A gift I would never go up to the salad bar without. A gift that I would never leave at home when I'm going out. It's something I would want to hold on to for dear life because it is so valuable to me. So my sponsor said, Michael, treat your abstinence like a $5 million gem. Think of it as a precious little emerald that that is like, oh my God, it's so valuable. And I don't know, maybe it's because I put such a high uh, price on value. Like, oh, well, that's a good deal. I want to buy that. Or, oh, that's too expensive. No, I'm not going to buy that. 
So I had to treat my abstinence as a very, very precious gem. So I don't think there's any objection. So obviously I can't give anybody's abstinence to them, but I can give you a precious gem uh, that you can uh, be reminded of. So I'm going to pass these around, and if you want to have a little precious gem to be reminded that you have the gift of abstinence right now, uh, please feel free to take one. There's clear and there's green, and I hope there's enough for all. Um, Um, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but this morning when I was in the shower, I've heard people say, you know, hmm, you hear in the meetings, take what you want and leave the rest. Well, I think it's take what you want and file the rest away for future reference. <laughs> because there's so many things I heard when I first came into the program that now I'm like, oh, I see. Yes, like when people said they were uh, a grateful compulsive overeater. I'm like, what? How could you ever be grateful for stretch marks and being, being ridiculed and, and um, doing the kind of sequential binging that I did? And that's a word that I've come up with uh, recently is my abstinence, which, of course, isn't that what I want is the magic, the magic word, the magic plan, the magic definition, the magic what is it? You know, what is it? And I've, it's come a long way for me to realize that when the literature says about being completely honest with ourselves, that's how I get to determine what my abstinence is. It's being honest with myself. You know, when I first heard three moderate meals a day and avoidance of all personal binge foods, I'm like, what? You're crazy. That's impossible. That's impossible. I mean, I grazed all day long. And the idea of never having peanut butter again now, if you have a problem with peanut butter and you have a problem with me saying the word peanut butter, um, you're in trouble. <laughs> because the literature says any scheme, any scheme of combating compulsive overeating, which shields the man from temptation, is doomed. Is doomed. Um, so I know that if I have an abstinence that is a scheme to shield myself from temptation, the literature says I'm doomed. I'm doomed. That that's not a way to have abstinence a day at a time for the rest of my life. Um, the idea of never having my binge foods again. Thank goodness when I first came in, there was this little thing called one day at a time. And my sponsor said, could you... Ask your higher power to help you stay away from peanut butter for one day. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. Also, too, of course, I, the deprivation. Um, well, I don't want to feel deprived. And um, so that's helped a lot. Two things. Number one, well, my sponsor said, Michael, how much peanut butter do you think the average person has his own lifetime? And I said, oh, I don't know. Couple jars a year? I, I don't know. And he said, Well, have you had your allotment? You know? And I said, Well, probably more, more. And he said, So you've actually had your allotment. You're not deprived. Also, the big thing is, um, as hard as it is to admit for me, though these foods look wonderful, they still taste wonderful, they are poison for me. They're poisonous. It would be like opening up the bottom of my sink 
and taking the poison and chug-a-lugging it down my throat. I'm not depriving myself of poison. It's poisonous for me. My challenge is, what do you do when you know it's poisonous and you go to the cabinet anyway? I want you to know that for the first two years of my 32 years of abstinence, I wanted to eat. So um, if you're like, well, gosh, this is so hard, or gosh, I haven't been touched by my higher power, my experience is that didn't happen for me either. I wanted to eat for the first two years. But my binging, my discomfort, has made me a grateful compulsive overeater for every binge I ever had. And that was the realization I had in the shower today that I never knew I would say, that I'm grateful for every binge that I ever had because it has made me so willing to go to any lengths to keep my precious gem, to go to any lengths. What are some of those lengths? Spraying Raid on the food so I wouldn't eat it. The first two years, that's what I did. That's what I did. Um... My normal Saturday, I'm from Los Angeles. I'm just saying it. Uh, There was a 9 a.m. meeting, got there early, set up chairs. After the 9 a.m. meeting, we went and had coffee up at the coffee place uh, and talked after the meeting. We went and had lunch. There was a 2 p.m. newcomers meeting. We went to that. After that, we had dinner and we set out our chairs for um, a meeting that was so big that you had to get there an hour early to put your little thing on the, on, this, on the chair. Went to that meeting. It was two hours long. Then afterwards, we'd go out for coffee. So my Saturday was about OA meetings, sharing with other compulsive overeaters, and working my steps. And that's what I had to do in order to keep my precious gem. Do I need to do that today? No, I don't. But in the beginning... Um, You know, my first sponsor, is this appropriate? Oh, how funny. Uh, In the play last night, there's this little scene where uh, uh, the character of Andrew is talking to Maria, and she says, what's a sponsor? And and, um, blah, 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 blah. And she goes, "Uh, great. You know, well, who do I sponsor? And 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 my line, the Andrew's line back is all in good time, dear. That's actually based on a conversation that my first sponsor and I really actually had. But the actual conversation was, I said, oh, great. Um, and he said, you know, we work with others and we do this and we do that. And I said, oh, great. Well, so then w- what do I do? What do I say? How do I sponsor? He goes, you don't sponsor yet, Michael. You don't know anything yet. <laughs> but he said, you can work with others. And I know this is a panel on abstinence, but I can tell you getting abstinent to me is not what was difficult because it's given to me at every meeting. It's how do I keep it? And also, too, I guess, if you're like me, how do I define it? My first sponsor said, if we looked up in the dictionary flag, we'd look it up and we'd say, oh, a flag is this. And if we went in a dictionary and we looked up the word governor, we'd go, oh, a governor is this. If we went in the dictionary and went Michael's abstinence, be like, there's no listing. There's no listing. So I have to figure out what it is for me, which I guess has taken me 32 years to figure out it doesn't really matter what your abstinence is. What really matters is mine. Which is the most important abstinence in the room? Mine. 
The newcomer may be the most important person in the room, but the most important abstinence in the room? It's mine. In fact, this is probably OA blasphemy, but for me, the most important person in the room is me. I have to be in a room of Overeaters Anonymous. I have to be in a room of fellow compulsive overeaters who are working, striving, willing to go to any lengths to keep this precious gift that has been given to us. It's one of the reasons I continue to keep coming back. One of the many reasons. One of the many reasons we spent three months working on that play last night. So maybe that we could share a message with somebody. So I did have to define my own abstinence. And uh, my sponsor did say, there are two things in the program that we have the most latitude about. The definition of our abstinence and the definition of our higher power. That's not actually defined in the literature. It's not. Um, and if you want a program based on the, the, the 100 people who first got sober 100 years ago or 80 years ago or 70 years ago, you know, make sure that your program is based in the literature. And so I'm a big, um, it's interesting, all three of us have our, have our big books here. And if you find somebody whose big book is falling apart, my first sponsor said, the per- its owner probably isn't. <laughs> if you find a big book that's all clean and pristine, the person's probably falling apart. So um, let's see, what else can I share with you? So I did have to define my own abstinence. And um, I don't know if there's any value in sharing it with you or not. I will tell you that my plan of eating has definitely changed over the last um, 32 years. But my abstinence honestly hasn't. My abstinence literally was no binging. It wasn't if I eat an extra green bean, and if that's your abstinence and you lose that and that's your definition, then that's great. But my sponsor said the best abstinence is one that you can keep a day at a time for the rest of your life. And that's kind of ironic that you can keep a day at a time for the rest of your life. I think it was easy for me to think about abstinence as, oh, it's just a bus. It's just a bus that comes. I can jump on. I can jump off anytime. And there's always going to be another bus. And then you hear somebody who I see in this room, who I um, admire and love very much, who, yeah, got off the bus. It took her 10 years to get back on. I'm working with somebody new now. And I don't think, um, do I want to say this? I don't think yet he has gotten hurt enough to elevate the gift of abstinence to the level of its preciousness and its ability to be lost and its need to be cherished and nurtured and maybe even coveted a little bit. If you want what I have and you're willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. Not what I have, what we have. Um... So my experience has been that my level of willingness to keep my abstinence is directly proportionate to my discomfort. And so that's why this morning I got the little gift of being grateful for every binge that I've ever had because it's made me very, very willing. And it does say that willingness is the key. I did have to define my abstinence, the no binging, uh, and now I've defined that as no sequential binging. Um, because I've been working with this new kid, kid, you know, he's, he's a kid. 
my mom now, she'll go up to somebody and go, oh, you're so smart, young man. And I'm like, I'm 55 years old, you know. But um, I'm, it's, it's very loving and pleasing to be called a young man at 55. The best thing is when you see people that you haven't seen for 25 years and they go, Michael, you look the same or you look just like you always did or you look fabulous. And I'm like, uh, the only better compliment is when I tell somebody that I'm in Overeaters Anonymous and they say, you don't look like you've ever had a weight problem. And that is a true gift that we don't just carry the message. We are the message. And um, that's a gift. But the sequential binging... I don't know why I want to get back to that, but this idea of going from one thing to the next and trying to get fixed, trying to find the one thing that's going to make it okay. And of course, if you're like me, there isn't any food that will do that. But I keep trying. I keep going in sequence to the next thing. Or, as the literature talks about, the physical allergy kicks in and I can't stop. I can't. Um, so I'm not advocating spraying Raid on your food not to eat it. <laughs> However, if that's the only tool that you have, yeah, so we're not going to add, you know, Raid to the tools of recovery. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, it worked. And I was, I was willing to go to any lengths. And I called my sponsor and said, well, I just sprayed Raid all over my food not to eat it, and he was like, wow, Michael, you must have really been willing. You must have really wanted to keep that gift of abstinence more than anything, that you were willing to actually spray raid on the food so that you wouldn't eat it. And I'm so grateful today that I don't have to do that today. It says the problem has been removed. We are placed in a position of neutrality. And I don't have to have a scheme of combating compulsive overeating. And I can walk into any store, go into any restaurant, and be around my fellows or out in the world and hold my head high and know that I'm a grateful, abstaining, compulsive overeating with the precious gift of abstinence. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Michael. Our second speaker is Julie from San Leandro. Oh, my God. Hi, I'm Julie. I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, I have given four really good talks. Unfortunately, none of them have been recorded, and they weren't in front of you. So um, who knows what's going to come out of my mouth? I don't. But um, my sponsor said, you know, I'm very careful about what I say from the podium. I thought, nah. So here we go. Um, What I will say is that um, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be abstinent. And uh, I, like any good student, read the pamphlet before the meeting. And I also brought my big book with all kinds of great quotes underlined and marked I don't know if I'm going to talk about any of that, but uh, I'm going to share with you a little bit about who I am, what I used to be like, um, what I think happened, and what I think I'm like now. If you want to really know what I'm like now, I can, I'll can. i point out my sponsor after the meeting. You can talk to her. Um, and um, Okay, so um, real fast, uh, I am... I don't know if I was born compulsive over here, but I was a fat baby. I got pictures to prove it. I mean, an obese 
baby, okay? Uh, I have always had a weight problem. Uh, my first diet was at the age of five, and uh, I started putting myself on diets at the age of about 13 after I went through, um, I wanted to say menopause, no. What I went through was, you know, the, you know, you start growing up and getting hair in places you never wanted. And... Um, and and then it's like, oh, God, now what? And I put on a bunch of weight, couldn't wear any of my school clothes. And my mother, in an, you know, our, our family's idea of weight control was humiliate the person enough so that they'll shape up and lose weight. So I carried that with me for quite a while. And um, not her fault. She had, those are the only tools she had to use. And um, she had a weight problem and didn't want me to suffer the same humiliation she did. I didn't. Mine was worse. <laughs> um, so so uh, I think I went from being a problem eater to a compulsive overeater when I was like 17 years old. Um, in, in my family, everybody ate ice cream. I mean, even the dog had diabetes. I mean, it was like, you know... <laughs> And our garbage disposal literally was in pristine condition until I came to OA. Nothing went down that. I mean, nothing. Nothing. So uh, when I got here, um, I went from 117 to 147 in a summer watching my dad die of cancer. And I had just gotten my driver's license so I could, you know, eat all his food, which was, you know, lots of sweets and stuff because he was wasting away and we were trying to, you know, beef him up a little bit. I would go down to the store, come back, and try and eat down to the level where it was before I ate it all, and then overshoot that mark and have my dying father ask me, is there any pound cake? And I'd have to say, no, Dad, I ate it all. That did not help my self-esteem, and um, I was eating to quell the feelings, and I, I... pretty much knew it. I was eating Nestle's quick out of the box with a spoon. Oh, before I go any further, I do need to say that um, uh, if bad language and potty mouth and swear words offends you, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, a lady I like to hear speak says that, um, you know, cuss words are for conversational cripples, and sometimes I walk with a limp, <laughs> and uh, sometimes I do too. And... Um, so anyway, uh, I, I put on a lot of weight, and again, more dieting, more commercial diets. I went to a commercial weight loss program four times. On the fifth one, I think I lost all my weight, kept it off for a full 24 hours before I started eating again and put it all back on. Um, I also went to a program where they will electroshock your arm and try and convince you you don't like certain foods. Um, this did not work. <laughs> I can t- <laughs> It didn't work. Uh, They would have needed to sit me in a chair and put a little thing on my head. That might have done it, but I don't know. So anyway, um, I came to OA pretty desperate, pretty defeated. Uh, As far as abstinence goes, uh, I wasn't looking for abstinence. I was looking for a way to eat whatever I wanted and stay thin. And you guys didn't have that. And I was looking for magic, and you didn't have that either. And... uh, yeah, I first time I came in, I got the food plan. I treated it like a diet. I stayed thin for because I just come back from Africa and I'd gotten dysentery, so I was thin. But it was only a matter of time, and I knew it before I went back up again. And so I tried following it, and then uh, I went to this party with people who drink. Let me tell you right now, 
If you think dinner's going to be served when they say it will, you are mistaken. Uh, I was waiting for dinner at 6 o'clock, and at about 8.30, I literally grabbed the person by the front of their shirt and said, can I help you set out the food? And so they let me do that, and they didn't care, you know. And uh, I had four abstinent dinners in a row. And then after the party was over and we were all coming back to pick up our dishes because it was a potluck, I'm in the refrigerator helping myself to something for the road while their little dog is there growling at me. And I'm like, shut up, you know, because I just, you know. But I didn't eat any sugar, so I called somebody the next day and I said, did I break my abstinence? I didn't have any sugar. She goes, yeah, you did. And I said, thank you very much. Hung up the phone, went down, got a binge, put all my weight back on again, 72, you know, up. 70 pounds. And uh, the next time I came into OA, I was wearing a pair of drawstring painter's pants because that's all that would fit. I wasn't bathing. Uh, I, I was like Queen Elizabeth. I didn't take my makeup off. I just kept putting on layer upon layer upon layer. And I was humiliated and I just sat in the back and watched the tears hit the top of my shoes. From there to here has been a long journey. And um, I knew after a while I got that abstinence was the goal. And, uh, and what happened to me was um, I got in here and I started losing weight and I followed the plan of eating and I had a sponsor and I worked the steps one, two, three, three, two, one. I turned, I admitted I was fat. I thought OA could help, that was step two. Step three was, I'll turn my life and will over the care of God only as long as nobody's looking, and I really don't want to do this. Because I prayed to God to save my father. God did do that, so why should I trust this God? Uh, but you said to do it, so it was like, you know, I felt like I had an arm up behind my back. I said, okay. So I did that, and I abstained for a year and a half. Problem was, is somewhere in my little brain, I thought, if I just got thin enough, I'd feel and felt like, look like people who'd lost all the steps. And I went to meetings in West LA where the, I thought the anorexics were at goal weight. So that's what I was shooting for. And I got down to 98 pounds and quit having a period and couldn't go up a flight of stairs and was wearing thermal underwear in the summertime in Southern California. But who cares? I'm thin. And you can't tell me any different. Problem was, is I went to an over retreat. It wasn't sponsored by OA, but was for OAs, and there were two really good retreat leaders, and I began compulsively overeating. I found out they lock up the food between meals, and um, <laughs> I eventually went from 98 to 200 in less than three months. And you'd think that would get my attention, but for the next two and a half years, I could not get abstinent. I was going to meetings because it was the only time I wasn't eating. So when I did get abstinent again, which isn't something I did, I believe it is a gift. I really, really do. And I think it's like one of those things where if you want to go duck hunting, you go where the ducks are. And if you want miracles, you come to Overeers Anonymous. And uh, what I did was I got a sponsor who had what I wanted, and I just did what she told me to do. And what she told me to do was be of service and show up at the meetings. In other words, you know, this is the way. You know, normally at a literature table, it's all set out real nice and pretty. I'd go in there because I didn't want to be there. I have real problems. You don't understand, and I'm pissed at you. And I would just throw the literature down, you know, wham, 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 and then sit there and hate all of you. 
and then uh, wait for the meeting to get over and then pick up the literature. And then for some reason I was okay and I didn't have to eat on the way home from the meeting, which I have been known to do. And, um, and it was on again, off again, on again, off again. And then, and oh yeah, one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories besides <laughs> eating a piece of cake riddled with insects was um, when I was going down the freeway in LA it's pouring rain. My car is hydroplaning. It is a stick shift. And I'm putting cream cheese on a bagel. Because <laughs> I have to eat it before I pick up my husband so he doesn't know I've been eating. And, um, you know, that's not enough to restore me a sanity. But what I did was I was too ashamed to go to an OA meeting. I came to an AA meeting. And um, somebody said something to me to the effect of, why don't you just try being kind to Julie? And no one had ever said that to me before. And the kindest thing I can do for myself is to abstain. When, when they say, just one day at a time, it's like, forever. <laughs> and it's like, no, we really mean one day. We just mean sometimes right now. One meal at a time. Thanks. So uh, that began, and as it's already been set up here, the I wanted, I was waiting for the abstinence where uh, the obsession is lifted and you go tiptoeing through the tulips, sharing with others, of course, and, um, you know, being of service when necessary. Uh, and what instead I got was a gorilla on my back for about a good nine months. I wanted to eat so bad, every cell in my body was screaming. I was going to four meetings a day to keep from eating. And one day I had, I think I scared my sponsor a little bit, but I, I had to be in her eyesight for the entire day or I knew I would eat, period. So I just hung with her through the whole thing, you know, and then finally went home and was able to go to bed. I've gone to bed at six o'clock just to shut the head off because it says in our big book, that's where the problem is. So if you were using your thinking to solve your problem, you are fixing a flat tire with a flat tire. It is not that I can't stop, it's that I can't stop starting. And once I start, I can't stop. I am one of the people, like it says in the book, who began eating as carelessly as if the cocktails were ginger ale. Okay? And I have those strange mental blank spots it talks about where uh, I had no intention of eating, no intention of eating, and the next thing I know, I have an out-of-body experience where I watch myself go over and get a Pepsi and some chips and some other things, and I'm off to the races one more time. I've been to Skid Row, not literally, but I mean taking meetings to Skid Row, and I am a Skid Row compulsive overeater. I identify with those men and women on Skid Row because my skid row is between my ears and on my green naugahyde sofa where I eat and pass out and come to and eat more, and I call in sick to life. I do not, I do not show up anywhere. So um, keeping abstinence, okay. Um, this pamphlet has some lovely suggestions, and I think they're all very good. What really got me, though, was I think I have to be really, I don't think, I don't know. I don't know. You know, all I know is stuff like this has happened to me. Okay, I'm walking out of the kitchen with something on my plate that doesn't look like it should be on my plate. There is no window open. I go by the refrigerator. A pamphlet from on top of the refrigerator floats down 
and lands right on my plate. The pamphlet, Dignity of Choice. And then you say the F word and go back in the kitchen. I put that away. I take the bread. Haven't you ever had a meal where you're crying? Because this is not what I want to eat. Chicken, broccoli, and tears are just, (laughs) you know, running down my face. And yet the next morning, I have never woke up regretting abstaining. I have woke up plenty of mornings. And I think it's a gift from God. And one of the gifts I, as I mean, you know, pain, humiliation, misery, you know, we can identify with the hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. So I have to stay really close. I need lots of meetings. I need to be of service somewhere in some meeting somewhere. Uh, I need to sponsor people because it says nothing will so sure, so surely I'm not, I can't, I am not a minister. I cannot quote it perfectly. But it says, you don't want to drink? Work with newcomers. Work with others. Work with anybody. You know, just get out of yourself. And that's what I have to do. I have to sponsor people. Um, because, I mean, I, they think, you know, oh, thank you. And I'm like, I'll say what my sponsor told me that her sponsor told her. She used to tell me, she told me, don't thank me. You can never thank me enough. Instead, go work with someone else. So that's, that's what I need to do. And I need to come to meetings. I have 32, if I don't eat between now and tomorrow, and it's always a possibility, uh, I'll have 33. But I have 32 years of abstinence, okay? And I currently weigh about 116 pounds. I did not reach that goal weight instantly. It has been a process of letting go. And as you know, everything I let go of, right? Claw marks all over it. Um, but it was a, it's a lot like, you know, when you finally decide. The people used to tell me when the pain of abstinence lurks less to you than the pain of the binging you're feeling or overeating or eating and vomiting or not eating that you're feeling, you will abstain. And it's like, we have two choices. I wish we had other ones. The choice is, is if you're, if you are a compulsive overeater, anorexic, bulimic, wherever you are on that spectrum, the choices are do this or die. I wish there were others. And for a lot of us, I want to say, I'm going to die. How soon? When? Okay? My fear was not dying. My fear was living this way like one of the living dead. Food was no longer doing for me what I wanted it to. Thank you. I was miserable, unhappy. The only two feelings I had were self-pity and anger. And when I began abstaining, I got my emotions back. It's always a little disconcerting when you discover you are a little angry. <laughs> it's called murderous rage. <laughs> and it lasts a while, you know. Um, so what I do, I still, I'm one of those people that weighs and measures their food because I have a broken brain and I have a broken eyeball, and I cannot tell what a normal portion is to save my life. 
If it is a hamburger patty, it should be the size of a hubcap in my book. So that's why I have a, you know, uh, plan of eating. <laughs> I love this expression. This is, and I'm going to use a bad word. It says, you know, my body is like a temple. Old, crumbling, and there's monkeys shitting all over it. Okay. And it's like, so what OA says is, you know, we're going to help you build a new house. Blueprints in here. Really good architect. Works. Going to have a great house if you do what we say to do. How do I build that house? We give you tools. Now, I came in here with a set of tools for living. The biggest one was food. I had a boyfriend having a grand mal seizure in my bedroom. And my only thought was, I know I shouldn't leave, but if I could just get to the market, I know I could deal with this. Okay? So I have better tools for living now. But I have to keep coming back because even though I got 30-some-odd years, I am, I am a slow learner, but I'm an even quicker forgetter. And I need to be reminded and I need you to remind me. We don't say I'm a compulsive reader just for kicks. It's because I need to hear myself say it. I need to. Ex- I need have. I need help accepting the reality of my situation, which is I'm doomed without this program. I have a brain that can't remember why I'm not eating. And I'll say this, and and then let then shut up. Which is uh, one time I went with some normal people to a, a Big Ed DeBevex in Beverly Hills. It's a 50s diner. Yeah, I don't have to say more. And so everybody is getting the chili cheese fries. And I excused myself and went to the bathroom. And I went in the handicap stall because that is appropriate. And I looked up and I said, you know I want them. I know I want them. It's not sugar. So, but I'd like to not eat them. Sort of. <laughs> so if I'm going to not order these, you're going to have to do it. Please help. So I go back to the table and our waitress rolls up on her skates. And chili cheese fries, chili cheese fries, chili cheese fries. I'll have the taco salad. Who said that? And I'd like to tell you it was a fabulous taco salad. It was not. It was a pathetic taco salad. But later, I felt really good. But I still need a sponsor. I still need meetings. Not still. It's, you know, they say it's not alcoholism, it's alcoholism. And it's like, <laughs> yes, I've still got it all. Every crazy thought. You know, you go to the coffee place and there's the pretty counter. And I find myself going, <laughs> and then you go, Okay, I'd like a large. Yeah, um, so I guess that's why I want to stop with, but I can't tell you enough that this is not, is, are we done? Okay, this is not a book about drunks. It says alcohol, but you want to cross that out. It was a printing error. Put food and compulsive overeater. If you have a doubt, read chapters two and three because it says in here, it's a catchy little title called there is a solution. And just by the grace of God, as I understand him today, it, for today, 
I'm okay. I'm still a compulsive overeater, but I'm okay. And you can judge that, but watch my plate at the salad bar a little later, okay? We'll see. Great. Thank you, Julie. Our third speaker is Anne from Brisbane. morning, everybody. My name's Anne. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I am uh, very grateful to be here this morning, and I definitely need to be in a room where there's a 12-step meeting going on. Um, I'm a little nervous. The last time I spoke at a convention, there were about seven people in the room. There's a few more that came this morning. So anyway, uh, I'm a little nervous because I had a little more coffee this morning than I usually have. Uh, The important word there is more. I said a little more, but the important word is more. The reason I had a little more was because last night I got the idea that um, maybe I wouldn't sleep as well as I usually do, and I might need a little more caffeine this morning than usual. And so I got up this morning, and I had had a very restful sleep, but that a little idea was in my brain that, you know, maybe I could have a little more, and so there was a little more. So I'm a little more uh, a little more caffeinated than usual because I still have the disease of more. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I'll qualify just a little bit. Um, I have been in Ovaries Anonymous for 35 years, and I have been abstinent, gratefully, uh, through the grace of my higher power for 27 of those years. And um, I'm very grateful for that. Um, but I have to say, you know, the 27 years, that to me is a frame of reference. That's what that is. I do not have gold-plated abstinence. And I'm really grateful that last night I was able to eat an abstinent dinner. And when I, was, when I woke up this morning, I was hungry because I was often not hungry in the morning because I had eaten so much the night before. Um, but I was hungry when I woke up this morning, and I was able to have an abstinent breakfast, and I'm really grateful for that. And... Uh, you know, I, I really do believe, I, I believe very much in what it says in the big book, and I too have my big book here, um, that I am granted a spiritual a reprieve based on the, my spiritual condition for that day. And I hold that true. It's been my experience. This thing's driving me crazy. So <laughs> it's uh, here, I guess. Can you hear me if I move away a little bit? No? Okay, I'll stay right here then. Okay, it'll just have to drive me crazy. Um, And, you know, I I have to say that, you know, I had an experience with the disease of more the other day. I'm on vacation. I'm a school teacher, and I'm on vacation. And I was in this really beautiful place, and I had, uh, had gone and had a really good physical therapy treatment. It was really wonderful, very relaxing. And so it was lunchtime. And I was so excited that I was in a good mood and I felt really, really good. And there was that little disease of more. You know, I wanted to have a little more, a little different lunch, a little more. And I thought, you know, God help me. You know, God help me. God take that from me. Because when I get in those those uh, points in my life... I can't do anything about it. You know, I am powerless over that. I mean, I am powerless over that. And I said, you know, God help me. You know, God help me. And I just sat with that feeling, and it it went away. It dissipated. And I was able to have an abstinent lunch. But, you know, I know that for me, that when I get into those places, there is nothing that is going to keep me from doing the next wrong thing except for a higher power. That is the only hope I have. 
That is the only, only hope I have. And so when I talk about abstinence, abstinence to me, I was thinking about how I was going to, uh, you know, talk about abstinence, and I started to think about how my abstinence has changed over the years. And for me, abstinence is a very dynamic process. It has been a process for me. And I came into my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting probably in about 1977, 1978, and I don't know where I had heard about Overeaters Anonymous, but I walked into the rooms, and I wanted nothing that you had, and I thought you were all very weird and very strange, and I did hear two things that I thought might be helpful, and one was a sponsor, and the other was a a food plan. And I heard that you could call your food plan into your sponsor. And I thought, well, that will be great. I will find a sponsor and I will call in my diet to the sponsor. And so I found what I thought would be a good sponsor. And I was waiting for her to, you know, have time to talk to me. And she didn't have time to talk to me. Somebody else was talking to her. And I'm really grateful that I didn't stick around and I didn't waste that woman's time because I was so not ready for the program, you know. All I wanted was physical recovery. That's all that I wanted. I didn't even want recovery. I just wanted my diet to work, and I wanted to get thin, you know, and that's all that I wanted at that time. And um, I came back into the program probably about four years later. I first, I had gone into Alcoholics Anonymous in 1982, and I came into Overeaters Anonymous probably in about... Uh, September of 1982, and I got another sponsor, and my recovery was very much about physical recovery. It was just about physical recovery. And so I got a sponsor, and I called her in with my food plan every morning. And I was uh, I knew that there were other aspects of recovery because I was in Alcoholics Anonymous, and they were talking about spiritual recovery, and they were talking about emotional recovery. And I was reading my 12 and 12. At that point, we didn't have the OA 12 and 12, so I just had my AA material and my AA literature. And... Um, I was reading the steps, and so I knew there was some kind of a process. There's this spiritual process. There were these 12 steps, and they were related to recovery. But I didn't really quite have a handle on it yet, and I didn't know how in the world this was going to relate to food. So I had this physical recovery. I called in my food plan to my sponsor, and she okayed it. She was very gentle with me. And, um, you know, and, and I couldn't stay abstinent, but at least I was doing some kind of a process. And I would go to these Overeaters Anonymous meetings, and I don't know exactly what we would talk about, but I know that I talked, I listened a lot about the food. We would talk about the food, and I thought that uh, for many years, or not many years, but for a long time in the program, I thought, if I could just find the right food plan, then I'll be abstinent, you know, and I kept, I mean, I went through a myriad of food plans, you know, from gray sheet to this sheet to, uh, you know, all over the map with the food plans, and I couldn't find the right food plan, you know, I just couldn't find the root for the right food plan that would fit, but, you know, I, uh, I got another sponsor, I moved up to the Bay Area, and this sponsor, she pushed me a little bit. She pushed me a little bit more. And not only did we talk about food, but she started to talk about recovery with food in relation to the 12 steps. And that was the first time I'd ever, I had ever really done that. And I don't know if I understood it or not, but at least she would talk about, you know, doing prayer and meditation and how important that was. And 
turning our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God and how she was doing that with her life. And so I would, I would listen to her and I would kind of do that too. And we started to talk a little bit about emotional recovery and what that meant in terms of abstinence. And she would pretty much call me on my stuff. And I realized that I was, uh, living in very much of a black and white existence. My, you know, my reality was black and white. It was either off or on. Either I was perfect or imperfect. And then if things weren't going perfectly, I would have to eat over that. And I had never really seen that before. You know, it took me a long time to see myself in recovery. You know, not only did it take me a long time to really understand the, um, the spiritual, the emotional, and the physical components of this disease, but it took a long time for me to understand um, how how those aspects related to me, you know, in terms of my recovery and how I related to them. So anyway, we would we would talk about those things, and I was still, uh, you know, trying to find that right food plan and having fits and spurts of abstinence, and you know, that's that's what I had, and I I I really. Uh, I still thought that, you know, if I could just get a handle on that right food plan, you know, that, that magical food plan out there that's gonna, gonna make me abstinent. And I, I just, I, uh, you know, continued to do research and I couldn't find the right food plan. But at that time, I, for the first time, started to get touch, get in touch with the fact that I was have feeling, having feelings that I ate over. And I never realized that. I didn't know that at all. I just thought I ate because I, I ate. You know, I just ate. I just binged. You know, I was a binge eater. I didn't know that there was anything connected to it, such as a feeling. I never, I never would admit to that. You know, I wasn't going to, wasn't going to go there. But you know, I started to realize that there were parts that I would, I would feel really, really angry, extremely angry. And I would feel really angry around my parents. I would feel really, really angry about my father in particular. And I realized that the only thing I could do was to stuff down those feelings with an incredible amount of food, and then the feeling was would go away. But that's as far as I got. You know, I got to I got to that point, and that's as far as I got. And um, I couldn't stay abstinent. You know, I kept going to meetings. I had a sponsor. I, you know, I was trying these various food plans, and I, I still couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't get abstinent. I couldn't stay away from the food. Something would happen. Something would trigger me, and I would go right back to the food. And so I, uh, I reached, uh, I, I reached a bottom with the food, and I, I ate compulsively for, um, I don't know, two or three months, and I got to the point where I closed the drapes and I unplugged the phone and I didn't do anything but eat. And I'm so glad that I got there because I had to get to a real physical bottom where I was completely out of ideas completely out of ideas. And, you know, I had always thought that I could always manage my food and plan a good diet. I grew up in a family of... Uh, um of, uh, my, both of my parents were in the medical profession. And so I was very clear about what good nutrition was. You know, I grew up with three good meals a day and our vitamins and, you know, lots of vegetables. And, you know, so I knew how to eat correctly. But when I got to this bottom with the food, um, you know, all bets were off. You know, I didn't have an idea of what I could possibly do with the food. And so anyway, I was, uh, I was on the couch one day recovering from one of my, um, really, really bad food hangovers, and Oprah happened to be on. 
and uh, I was watching Oprah, and there was a woman that came on, and she was an obese person, and that caught my attention because I thought, you know, and you know, you you probably have something in common with this woman, and all of a sudden something said, the only thing between you and her is the twelve steps. And I was like, the 12 steps? I was like, well, why didn't somebody tell me? You know, it was the, the 12 steps. And, uh, you know, I, uh, at that, at that point, you know, everything changed. Everything changed for me. And I picked up, I picked up this book, you know, I picked up the big book and I read in chapter five about how it works. And I really got attuned to, um, just using the 12 steps as my program of recovery. You know, that's when it became, you know, it was, uh, uh, it was, I think that, you know, I was, I was looking for spiritual recovery, for emotional recovery, and for physical recovery. And I know at that point that really the, uh, the physical recovery and the spiritual recovery just became one thing. You know, they just became one thing. And it says in the big book here, and I'm going to quote something here just a little bit. It says... Okay, it says, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And I found that that's, that's to be the case, you know, that's to be the case. So when I talk about having this disease of more that I have, you know, where I'm sitting in the car and it's time to have lunch and I've got that feeling of needing to have more, you know, there is nothing that is going to, you know, I don't care if I've called my sponsor, I don't care if I have the best food plan in the world, you know, I don't care how long I've been abstinent for. If I don't have a good spiritual recovery, I am doomed. I am doomed. You know, I am doomed. And I totally believe that. So, you know, um, my process of recovery is, you know, it's like, a, you know, I said it's a dynamic process. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, when I came in, it was like this. And now it's fused into one process. You know, there aren't really different aspects of my recovery. I have to say that in uh, when I started to get that, that, that first component of real physical, physical recovery, which for me was spiritual recovery. You know, it wasn't physical recovery. It was spiritual recovery. And I realized that for me, what I was going to have to have in order to have any kind of recovery from food was a relationship with a higher power. And that was it. And I knew that if I wanted good, solid recovery, then I would put my heart and soul into working these 12 steps. And that's what I was going to do. And so nothing else mattered to me. You know, the scale didn't matter. The weight didn't matter. The size of my clothes didn't matter. Nothing mattered. You know, it only mattered that I started to develop a relationship with this higher power and that I worked these 12 steps to the best of my ability. And so, you know, I threw out my food scale. I don't know what I weigh. You know, it's not important to me. I totally trust that my appetite is given to me through the grace of God and through these 12 steps, and God is in control of that. If I'm eating what I'm supposed to be eating, I will weigh what I need to weigh. If I'm working the 12 steps to the best of my ability, I will be eating what I need to be eating, and I will weigh what I need to be weigh, what I need to weigh. And the only thing I need to worry about is how I'm working the 12 steps, and that's all that I need to concern myself with because I am a compulsive overeater. I have a deadly disease. I'm not going to cure it. I'm not going to fix it. Only a higher, a higher power can do that for me. So anyway... 
uh, there was a, a, a point where I needed to do some emotional recovery, a lot of emotional recovery. I had to go back and I healed, had to deal with those feelings of anger that had come up in relation to my family, in particular to re- in relationship with my father. And I had to do a lot of work on the emotional component of my recovery. That work, incredibly, was given to me through my 12-step, med- 11-step meditation. I was meditating one day because my therapist, who I had uh, started to go to, was a wonderful asset um, to me in the program. He was also a member of Overeaters Anonymous, and he would really, really, really talk to me about my behavior. And then we would go back to the 12 steps and how those 12 steps could help me. But anyway, I, uh, he told me that I needed to start meditating, and I did. And in my meditation, I was really, really given... Um, this information that I needed to go and do this specific kind of therapy. And it kept coming through again and again and again. You know, amazingly, through that 11-step meditation, who would have known? You know, who would have known? And so anyway, I uh, I went and I did some very, very uh, deep, deep uh, work on the emotional part of my recovery. And there were a lot of things that were uncovered that were very unpleasant. And in recovering from those very, very unpleasant memories, I focused on the spiritual part of the program, you know, and I'm so glad I had that to hang on to, you know. Without that, without that spiritual component, I couldn't have had emotional recovery. I couldn't have done it. You know, I could not have done it. You know, I would have gone right back to the food, right back to the alcohol, right back to the boyfriend, you know, right back to something that would fix that. But I didn't, I didn't do that. You know, I stayed with the program and I used those steps. You know, I used those steps and I used the meetings and I recovered and I grew. And I find that whenever, whenever, you know, I'm going through something emotionally and I deal with it through the 12 steps, I come out such a different, better person, you know, such a different, better person. And I'm really, really grateful for that. I think that, uh, that recovery is, t- you know, is, is just profound. And, you know, I've, uh, I've been in program. I've been sober for 35 years. Um, and I've been around this, you know, obviously for a long time. And, you know, I, I've, I've heard that this is a way of life, you know, that this is a way of life. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's more than a way of life. My abstinence today is, it is my life. My abstinence is my life today. I can't delineate it out into like part and parcels, you know. I don't have physical recovery and emotional recovery and spiritual recovery. I have recovery, you know. I have recovery based on the 12 steps. And there isn't anything in my life today that is not somehow touched by what I will call my abstinence. You know, I go throughout the day, you know, I get up in the morning and I say that that third step prayer. I call my sponsor, you know, with my food. Not so much that I'm so worried that I'm going to binge today if I don't call my sponsor, but it reminds me of who I am and of this process that I go through every single day, that I am powerless over food. You know, it gets me to step one, where is where I need to start. And then I go throughout the day and I try and be of maximum service to my fellows because that's what it tells me to do in the big book, you know. And that is still being abstinent, is a way of living, of breathing, of doing these 12 steps, of practicing these principles in all my affairs. You know, abstinence is, is bigger than me today. It is bigger than me today. It encapsulates everything in my life. 
you know, I cannot live without abstinence. It is like my oxygen, you know. I cannot think of not, you know, of like, you know, going out and having a binge. Where would I, you know, what would I do, you know? I'd have to, where would I do? I'd say like food is more important than God. It's not, you know. And I was thinking, and I'll close with this, um, my absence today, what I'm trying to really embrace is just being extremely, just being extremely grateful for the profound recovery that I've experienced in these rooms. That's what my absence is today. So thank you for letting me share, and thank you that I'm hopefully recovering a little bit from the disease of more that I still have. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. I love that. Abstinence is a way of breathing. Um, the meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Um, please sign the release form at the podium prior to speaking, and we ask that you limit your share to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on this uh, on the topic discussed today. And the session will end at uh, 11.15. And... Uh, I hope a lot of you want to share because people will be listening to these on podcasts. So come forward. <laughs> and you can line up if there's a line. Yay. Hi, my name is Frank. I'm a recovered compulsive reader. Hi, Frank. And I'm, I was the speaker at the session before this, but I forgot to say something, and it's relevant to abstinence, so I'll, I'll say it here. For the past two months, or no, about the past month and a half, I've been uh, trying a new thing in terms of, of my abstinence, or my, the amount of food I eat or whatever, which is to work steps one, two, and three whenever I'm going to have a meal or whenever I'm thinking about having a meal or whenever I'm thinking about having a snack or whatever. And the idea is to, first of all, admit that I am powerless over food, that a higher power can help me, and ask the higher power for that help. So it can be, I can sometimes just say one, two, three, and then, you know, hopefully with God's help make a decision. The current way that I like to say it is that if I've admitted that I'm powerless over food, I have no business deciding what, when, and how much I'm going to eat. My higher power can help me and let my higher power help me. And then the other thing I do is I, I was texting it to my sponsor. I was just texting one, two, three whenever I did that just to acknowledge that I did it and, and tell him about it. And I didn't have to say anything about what I did, decided or what, what, what I didn't decide. But um, recently I've switched to doing it with one of my sponsors, one of my sponsees. So my sponsee and I are texting one, two, three to each other whenever we um, think about overeating. And it has, it has been uh, a miracle. I mean, there have been times when I thought I was going to have a snack, and after I did one, two, three, I didn't. Or I go ahead and have a meal, but I put much less food on the plate than when I would than I would if I hadn't done that. So it's just a little technique, and I think it's a spiritual awakening that I've had here is, is to connect the food to each meal that I eat. Thanks. Thank you.
I have a very long last name. <laughs> My name is Nancy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I've been in OA a really long time, and a lot of it has been a relapse. And I went to the um, Santa Cruz retreat that OA Silicon Valley sponsors every year. I went in May, and I got my abstinence back again, and I'm so grateful. And now I don't have a problem admitting that I'm powerless over food, because I am powerless over food. But my next thought is, now what? So... Um, what I've been doing every day is my sponsor had me write one of those lists where I write down all the qualities that I want my God to have. And so what I do in the morning when I say my morning prayers and do my morning rituals and make my sponsor call is I read that list. And on that list is that my God has the power to keep me abstinent and, uh, and has lots of other wonderful things that he does for me. But I read that list every morning to remind myself that I'm not relying on me to be abstinent. I'm relying on God, a God that I believe is powerful and loving and has my back. And that's who keeps me abstinent. Thank you. I'll sign after. <laughs> I'm Hannah, Convulsivator. <clears throat> and as I said before, you know I've been around for over and abstaining for over 40 years, but I'm so in awe of this program. These three guys, I identified with everything they said, and I always learned something new and more. Oh, yeah, that's me. And I was one of these people when I came. I came because uh, I wanted to be thin because then my husband wouldn't leave me. <clears throat> and so I went on a diet. And I was really smug about it because I had this perfect abstinence, gray sheet, underweight, undermeasured, and I lost weight. But the first temptation, the first moment when something came up, I went on a binge, and it started with one cookie. I ended up fighting with an 11-year-old guy, my girlfriend's son, over the food afterwards. My husband walked by, and he'd seen what I was trying to do the first three months, and he said, do you know what you're doing to yourself? And I told him to go to hell, because if I want to binge, if once I've started, I cannot stop. But I was very grateful that, you know, I decided OA was not working for me, that I picked up the telephone and I called someone. They talked me into coming back, so I was only gone from program for a week. And I found out that there's so much more to it. But I don't know anybody who didn't come to program because they didn't want to lose weight. I did not come to be spiritual. And I swore, my, the first five years, I call them my apprenticeship, because I swore I would never pray, I would never meditate, and I, the steps, okay, but traditions, never mind, they're not for me. So it took a long time, and I had a sponsor who just was very gentle and she said, that's okay if you're never going to pray, you're never going to meditate. And she was a very devout, devout Catholic, and I came from a non-religious background. And um, guess what I'm doing today? It took years. I get on my knee, I knees, and I turn my will and my life over to my higher power, who's God for me today. I didn't believe in it at first. And I meditate. I do my best there. I'm not that good at it, even after all the time. But take the time out. And I would run around, ask people. They would talk about meditation. And it's really good for you. How did you do it? How are you doing it? How did you do it? And finally, somebody said to me, just sit still. Wow. Because I'm one of those people. I'm always running a mile a minute. I'm in the process of moving, so I'm kind of slowing down for a little bit. But I'll speed up again. 
But this program is awesome. I don't think there's anything else in this world that would have ever taken care of me to feel the way I feel about myself today, most of the time. And it's given me the tools that I don't feel good. You know, like moving is not much fun, especially when you're 79 years old. And so, but I can talk about it and I say, oh my God, my back hurts. But at one time I had to grin and bear. Don't talk about your feelings. Don't tell anybody how you feel. And that's what this program has done for me. And as I said, I'm in awe every day. And thank you guys. You had different stories and everyone pertained to me. Thank you. Okay, we still have a few minutes. Uh, would somebody else like to share? I'm going to do it then. My name is Eileen. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi. And um, uh, happy to be here, really happy to hear how everybody does it. And I think the big miracle for me is watching um, people over all these years who have uh, lived and, and survived, lived well and graciously with the disease of compulsive overeating in a, being arrested. Um, and it is for me a daily thing. Um, I wake up with untreated addiction, and I have to talk to myself all day long about how to live um, and just do the next best thing. And then things do happen, and, and with all this time on, I can still exercise, and I can still travel, and I can still you know, function, and and um, be right-sized. I like, I, I hear somebody in program who says, I'm just a cliche, and that's really all I am, and and that's all I have to be, is to kind of take care of my body and, and, and do things um, as I'm supposed to do it. So is there anybody else who'd like to share? Come on up. We've still got two minutes. Yay. Or three. <laughs> Hi, I'm Elizabeth, and I, Elizabeth. I'm, a, oh, I'm a compulsive overeater, a food addict, and uh, I have had abstinence, or at least what I called a dry drunk, and I never drank, uh, for 10 years. I came into these programs um, in 2007. Uh, my highest weight was over 300 pounds. I was a nurse, an unhealthy nurse and I was trying to lose my weight so I can be an example to those that I was with. Anyway, I, um, life happens. Well, anyway, I, I lost my weight because I was compliant. Did not surrender, but I was compliant. I did what I was told to do. I fired all my sponsors, and you don't fire a sponsor. You didn't hire him in the first place. God gave him to you. Anyway, I can't gain came down to 110 pounds, but I nothing is ever enough for me. I thought, you know, 98 pounds would really, really look good on me. Well, it didn't, and life happened. Um, less than a year ago, I lost my husband of 53 years. That was really, really very traumatic. What happened was I couldn't imagine my life uh, without him. Not that I was such a good wife or he was such a good husband. It was that... Um, I didn't know how to be a wife, and I don't know how to be a widow. I came back to these rooms because I want to see if I can regain what I had and if that's going to give me what I want to be, happy and joyful and free. 
I think that can happen, but it's not going to happen if I go to the, uh, the, uh, the what do you call it, the place where you buy these rings, rings and the earrings, you know, for a dollar. It's going to happen if I have the program that you guys have, that I can understand that, yes, you can be compliant, but you have to surrender, and a sur- surrender is a holistic process. So by the grace of God, I hope that I can do that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can, you can you sign it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Um, that's all the time that we have for sharing. It's now time to close this session. Uh, let's thank our speakers and our, serve, our timer. And if you enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the All-Star Media Table to order copies of the session or any other sessions. All workshops and main speaker events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. Please join hands as we close with the third step prayer that you'll find on page eight of your program. Okay, ready? God, I offer myself to thee, to the will be 